Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Show, the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions. And now, the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio. Here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show, which is now in its 21st year on voiceamerica.com. And this is the program that shows you how to turn your obstacles into opportunities and make your dreams come true. And today we have a great guest. My guest is Caitlin Carey, and she's a nurse educator whose interest in the relationship between cognitive science and crisis recovery has resulted in the creation of new medical resources and perspectives. One example of this is her book, Beauty After Breast Cancer Book, in which Caitlin authored this way to partner with giving an information and a message of hope. She worked with photographers, medical professionals, and over 50 breast cancer patients to create a radically different resource. And this has been featured in publications all over the world. So very happy to have Caitlin on today. Welcome, Caitlin. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. So the BABC Project, which is the Beauty After Breast Cancer Project, is an informative, supportive book that shares photos of people who are visibly present in life beyond cancer. And these photos create a sense of hope for patients who feel that they can be whole again. And there's also stories and portraits. So talk about how you decided to write this book, or did it just kind of happen? Uh, this book was supposed to be a trifold brochure, so <laughs> it, uh, it had an awkward beginning. I had had my mastectomy when I was 29 years old and single, which made for one of the world's most awkward dating conversations ever. Uh, you know, hi, I'm Caitlin, and I hope you're not a boob guy. Mm. As I came into recovery of my sense of self after this radically different surgery that left me with a body completely separated from from what I'd felt like before. I was surprised how much I struggled with my own self-image. I was surprised how much I struggled with my self-confidence. I was surprised how much my new breasts didn't feel like me. And I would say more than anything else, I was surprised by how much the education that I'd gotten before I went into these surgeries didn't warn me about any of this. Mm-hmm. There were no resources provided to say, hey, here's some things to expect as part of your recovery. Here's some hurdles you're going to be facing, and here's some tools to get you past that. Mm-hmm. There wasn't any of that. There was um, neck-to-waist photos from the surgeon's office. So when, when you first face a surgical decision for, as a breast cancer patient, uh, they will connect you with a plastic surgeon or a breast surgeon. Mm-hmm. Sometimes those are two different categories. Sometimes they're the same category. And oftentimes you'll see photos in the doctor's office. But because of HIPAA privacy laws, the photos that you see are very clinical. Mm-hmm. They, they go from the neck to the waist and they show very good examples of what that doctor has been able to do for a reconstruction and other possibilities so best, that they've looked at. it's the best at. case scenario. It's not the, the real, I mean, it's, it's kind of like Photoshop when you see a model and you look at this model and you think that's how they always look. It's a similar kind exactly. of thing from what you're describing. Yeah, it's very unreal. It's, it's very hard to connect yourself to the images that you're seeing because they're so depersonalized. They're so, yeah, not the neighbor next door. They're, they're supermodel unapproachable. I felt like I could have looked at a picture of a Barbie doll and gotten as much intuitive value of being able to picture what this would look like on my body as I got from those photos. Yeah. And I thought, oh, my and, God, can we not do and, better? Now, let me ask you something. How long ago was this when this first happened? How many years? Uh, I'm 47 now, so this was 18 years ago. Okay. Is it any different now, Caitlin? That's the reason I asked you that question. Are the pictures still the same way, showing you the best case scenario, or is it more realistic now? 
I think that the medical industry would like to give something a little bit more realistic, but I think they face some very big hurdles. One of those hurdles is what I mentioned. It's the privacy laws that you can't include somebody's face and share a patient's information with another patient. So for the doctors that are doing the surgeries, they have limited options. They're doing these photos in their offices and under clinical lighting, protecting privacy. So they're depersonalized by, by their very nature of what they have to be. The next hurdle is that the physicians themselves, I think, do not understand that when a breast cancer patient who's just been scared to pieces with a diagnosis is then looking at these photos, the subconscious messaging underneath this is actually reinforcing that person's worst fears. The fear that you're going to become a number, that you're going to become depersonalized, that you're going to lose your femininity, your sense of self and uniqueness and beauty by going through this surgery. And then the last hurdle is that no surgeon worth their salt is going to show you a bad outcome because they want you to trust them. But some outcomes a surgeon doesn't have control over. They don't have control over whether there's some radiation burns or how your body handles the surgery and how big of a scar you form. So oftentimes women see these idealized photos and then they themselves are not that and they're crushed. So here's my my question for you is how did that aha of, gee, this something's not right here, turn into you really getting a team together to create this? Because that's that's a whole big project. And how long did it take you, you know, to get people behind you, medical professionals and photographers? And how did this all, you know, come together from that first aha? I think my aha moments came from my husband. When I first started dating, uh, when I first started dating Ash, he recognized my insecurities, my awkwardness around that first conversation of, oh, before you see me without my clothes on for the first time, there's something you really need to know because there was still this part of my head that was worried I would see horror or shock or disgust mm-hmm. on the face of an intimate partner. Um, not only did he not show horror or disgust, he started taking pictures of me. Uh, with with a shirt partially unbuttoned, or he started taking these lovely photos of me and showing me these photographs. Mm. And the way I like to phrase it is, when I saw these pictures, I saw myself through his eyes Mm. without the lens of my insecurity, without the the perspective and the lens of my my grief, my loss. Mm. I just saw myself through his eyes as beautiful. And once you look at a picture and go, wow, she's beautiful. Wow, she's me. It kind of helps you over that final bridge of, okay. And and let me just pause here for a minute because that's not always the case with husbands. So you were very, you're very fortunate and blessed to have that person who really embraced you totally. Not to say that husbands don't, but I'm sure that you've heard stories of women who are married or in significant relationships where that wasn't the case where the partner wasn't is accepting. Sometimes from people who write letters in, in response to the Beauty After Breast Cancer resources, what I hear just breaks my heart, which is questions like, I wonder how many women get divorced over this. And I think that so many of us walk into that fear of they're going to be disgusted. They're going to be turned off by this. They're not going to love me the same. And whereas it horrifies me to say that sometimes that happens, I also think that in our minds, it's, it's a bigger percentage than it really is. Ash wasn't the first guy I dated. Um, there, was, there was a handful of men that I dated between when I had my mastectomy and when I got married. And I have to say that every single one of them was really stellar including the very first man who saw any part of me after my surgery, which was before I'd even had my reconstruction. I'd had, um, I'd had expanders put in. So with the initial surgery, the way that I did my reconstruction, I had a bilateral mastectomy with silicone implant instruct, uh, 
silicone implant reconstruction and the implants were under the muscles. Now, oftentimes now they'll do the silicone implants, but they'll do them on top of the chest muscle instead of underneath. But with this particular surgery, it meant that they removed the breast tissue and then they slid in these expanders to create a pocket in the muscle to hold the implant. Mm -hmm. And so I had these very, very rigid square bags in my chest that were being slowly expanded and unfolded to create this pocket. Uh, it made so me look it was really weird. And it was very in uncomfortable for you. It was uncomfortable. It was, there was definitely some, my scars hadn't had time to heal. They were very, pretty vivid still. Uh, the chest was very hard and it was higher up than where, where normal breasts would sit. So it looked like I was wearing a corset. And so I strapped myself into a corset and I took myself to New Orleans. This was one of my mental health recovery moves. Uh, was that I was just going to go uh, the week before Mardi Gras and I was going to flirt my way into some bead necklaces and prove that I was still just as attractive as I had ever been. Thank you. Hmm. And while I was down there, the very first man that I'd had any kind of interaction with, he and I were flirting all night long. We ended up in the hot tub at the hotel and his hands were wandering and I would grab his hands and I would move them back down and his hands would wander and I would grab his hands and move him back down. And finally, I'm like, okay, this is getting awkward. And I paused and I said, okay, um, I think I need to explain something. Mm-hmm. And he stopped. And in a moment that became very profound for me then and later, he said, no, wait. You don't owe me an explanation on anything. Mm. And, mm. and that statement just really took me aback. Yeah. That here was this guy I just met who, who was basically telling me that message of, this is your body. This is all of who you are and what you need is not about me. It's about you. And there is nothing owed to me just because you're flirting with me. Yeah. And did you have a chance to talk with him? Did you, did you explain yourself anyway or no? I never did. Interesting. I, I never gave any explanation. We spent several more hours together that evening. It didn't change anything. He just stopped wandering his hands to my chest. But it, it changed nothing of the vibe between us. The, the evening continued on as if nothing had happened, and I let go of my need to justify what I felt were my imperfections in that moment. Yeah, let me just say something here as, you know, I'm kind of like observing everything you're saying, is in both instances, both with this man and with your partner, with your husband, you got acceptance. When you you were accepted, and so that brought self-confidence to you as well. Absolutely. And, and I, I wish we lived in a world in which we could walk forward with our own confidence and not need anyone's acceptance yes. uh, or lack thereof to color who we are and how we move about and how we feel about ourselves. But I will admit that just like everyone... Yeah, the, the responses that we get from people do matter to us. And, and I'll wrap, if you'll help me, I'll wrap back to that concept because the concept that I just mentioned is very heavily part of what the Beauty After Breast Cancer book is about and heavily what the Beauty After Breast Cancer project is about because what we're talking about right now is the science of identity threat. Mm-hmm. And I, and I want to wrap back to that later. But I first want to go back to your initial question of the way the book happened was the photography, the acceptance that I'd gained, I just wanted so badly to be able to say, oh my gosh, can I share this with other people? Can I help people get over the hurdle of stepping back into themselves and their sense of self-confidence faster by giving them a meaningful resource from the beginning, preferably by giving photos that aren't intimidating that don't cause a disconnect between yourself and, as and that also show the breast after the mastectomy right without the implant that was also part of your mm-hmm. pictures as well 
Yeah, I wanted to show not just the option that I had chosen, but the option that everyone had available, whatever that was. And that could mean a lumpectomy. That could mean taking one breast but not the other. That could mean a reconstruction or not a reconstruction. Uh, and that could mean several different types of reconstruction. And by the time I finished realizing how many options were available for women facing breast cancer and a surgical intervention, I realized we needed way more than my story and my pictures, which would have been so, a brochure. We needed a yeah. book, and I needed at least 30 people <laughs> all right. to represent all, right. well, after, all of after those different break, choices. Right, and after the break, we're going to talk about that in depth. But I do want to ask you this before the break. When people now read the book and see the pictures, what feedback are you getting from women who've had mastectomies, who've had breast cancer in terms of their self-confidence, their empowerment? What feedback are you getting? I love the stories that we get back from the women and men who read this book. One is, I don't feel like a freak. I no mm-hmm. longer feel... Like, like I'm broken. I no longer feel like I've lost my normality. I, I look at these women. I see confidence. I see beauty. I see that there's an end line for myself where I can have that again. That's one of the most meaningful pieces. But I also hear from women saying, this was the way that I was able to tell my family, that I was able to involve my support network and help them understand for the first time what I was going through. Uh, All right, and, we're and sometimes take... they'll page. Okay. <laughs> sometimes they'll page through, and they'll get an idea of that. That's what I need to do, and that's what's going to be meaningful for me to get me to that place. All right. On that note, we're going to take a break, and this is really very powerful. Caitlin Carey is a nurse educator, and she is the really the creator of this project, BABC Beauty After Breast Cancer. She had breast cancer, and she put together an informative, informal, or informational supportive book that shares photos of people who are visibly present in life beyond cancer. And she has helped many, many men and women through this project. We're going to talk more about it right after the break. Again, this is uh, Caitlin Carey. Caitlin, what is the website for people to go to? Beautyafterbreastcancer.com. Perfect. Beautyafterbreastcancer.com. And again, you're listening to the Patricia Raskin Show right here on voiceamerica.com. We'll be back with Caitlin Carey to talk more about beauty after breast cancer right after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. It's time to get real, discover who you are, and get the tools to navigate your life. It's time to rock your midlife with Dr. Ellen Albertson, the Midlife Whisperer. Your midlife roadmap is the blueprint you need to roll with change, transform yourself, and create a fabulous second adulthood. Get answers and solutions for whatever you're up against and transform problems into opportunities. Make your next life chapter your best chapter with Rock Your Midlife every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think of the world. 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. 
Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com are listening to the patricia raskin show if you wish to call into our program today please call 1-866-472-5788 that number again is 1-866-472-5788 you may also send an email to patricia at patriciaraskin.com now back to the patricia raskin show hello everyone and we are back we are talking about the title of the book beauty after breast cancer my guest is Caitlin Carey, who is a nurse educator who has had breast cancer, and her interest is in the relationship between cognitive science and crisis recovery. And that actually resulted in the creation of this book, Beauty After Breast Cancer. And it's, it's an amazing book. It's a supportive book that shares photos of people who are visibly present in life beyond cancer. The photos create a sense of hope for new patients so that they can reach a place where life becomes joyful again. And there's stories, portraits, and words of patients, who are, which is essential to the recovery need of patients. So welcome back, Caitlin. So Thank you let's so talk much. about, you're welcome. Let's talk first about really your goal, which is your interest in the relationship between cognitive science and crisis recovery. Explain that. As a nurse, I hear a lot of stories from people, and I see where, where we lose track of patients, uh, where, where the big stumbling blocks are when it comes to following a strong forward path to recovery. Uh, the, the typical example I give in this case is uh, a lady named Kitty. She was one of the first people I interviewed for the book. And when I met with her, she explained that she had been a competent, very successful corporate businesswoman. And the day that she got her breast cancer diagnosis, this entire successful tower that she had built for herself of her life crumbled in a moment that she said, I heard the words, you have breast cancer, and I heard my death sentence. Mm. And she went on to explain that everyone she'd ever known who'd had cancer had died from it. And so she said, and so I knew, I knew that that's what was going to happen to me too. And the result of her fear was that she ended up in such a horrendous depression that she crawled into bed. She came out for some of her appointments, but that was it. And at the end of several months time, she had spent so much time depressed, huddled in on herself in bed that she needed physical therapy to walk again. And I was talking about the concept behind the Beauty After Breast Cancer book with her. And she said, if I had had a resource like this, if I had had something that showed me a different outcome, that showed me people facing the same hurdle, but succeeding and, and recovering from it, she said, I never would have gone there in my head. Mm-hmm. And what she was talking about, I later discovered, is something called availability bias. Availability bias is what makes us go out and buy a lottery ticket. You'd never buy a lottery ticket if you'd never heard of anybody winning. Mm-hmm. Availability bias is also what makes us scared to jump in the ocean after watching the movie Jaws. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what it really boils down to is that at our, our brains automatically pull up the most emotionally intense and recent examples that we can think of when we're facing something unknown. And we use those stories to estimate our own possibilities for success or failure. So if all you've ever heard of is people dying in response to cancer, mm-hmm. you're not going to give yourself good odds. Right. But if you see the success stories and the recovery of other people, 
the likelihood of you jumping in and maintaining a sense of hope for yourself in your own situation is much, much higher. Yeah, and I just and want to pause there. And when we say hopeful, we stay engaged. Yeah, I just want to say something because what you just said is exactly why I have been doing this program for four decades. That was exactly yeah. the reason is I kept saying, well, how can we improve if, we not, if we're not seeing the role models? You know, if all we're seeing are the negatives. And so what you're doing is just so important. And I'm, you know, it, it, and it, it's, it's hopeful and heartwarming and so important too, Caitlin. Thank you for this work. So go ahead. Keep going. Yeah, I, I felt like, okay, if, if, we can, if we can see success stories of others in front of us, you know, somebody starting off on a business, if they heard about 10 people starting their business out from scratch and being successful with it, suddenly you're able to overcome a few more of those hurdles. Or I think we all love the story of hearing how many times famous inventors failed before they made it. Oh, yeah. Like, so what is, what is the breast cancer equivalent of that? And how can I really make people believe that there is such a thing as recovery of self, of life and enjoyment of life and enjoyment of beauty again beyond breast cancer? And I strongly felt that I probably couldn't convince people with words alone. And that's where the photography came into the mix. Now, what happened in your, own, in your own life? I know that you said that you had the implants and they were very uncomfortable for you. So did you stay with the implants? Did you make a change? I made a change. Uh, I stayed with my implants for probably about 13 years total, uh, which meant that I had them removed and replaced uh, one of the things that people don't always know about implant reconstruction is that they have a limited shelf life. So when you go into the surgery, it's not your only surgery. Uh, Ten years later, you need to swap them out. Ten years after that, you're supposed to swap them out again or the rupture risk increases. Uh, that's specific to silicone implants more than it is for saline. But I went in, I had my initial surgery at the 10-year mark to, to swap out the implants uh, the surgeon did an amazing job, but I was continuing to have problems. Uh, it had taken me years for the implants to actually feel like part of my body again. It had just, mm. I'd felt separated from my breasts for a really long time. I actually ran around calling my breasts them. Mm. I, could, I couldn't bring myself to use the word breasts. I couldn't even bring myself to use the word boobs. I found out from some of the other patients I talked to later, they said, oh, no, that's because they're foods. Mm. Fake boobs. I'm like, all right, I could get on board with foods. But it took many years for them to just feel like part of my body. And even then, you know, if I moved my chest in a certain way, it would kind of collapse the implant underneath. It would fold them. And so as I was trying, as I was getting older and needing to do more active interventions to keep my body physically fit, I found that the scar tissue and the way that the implants were pulling was making it very hard for me to do an effective workout regimen of any kind without having secondary consequences like three days of headache after I did any kind of hand weights, hmm. that they were causing more problems for my continuing health then they were solving, and I realized at that point in time, having been in a loving relationship for many, many years, thank you to, to all the fates for that, I didn't need them anymore. Mm. So, you, so you decided not... When I was 29 not... and single, I needed them, and later I didn't. So you had them removed? So I had them removed, um, and for some people that means that it would just go back to a very flat, chest. Uh, for yeah. me, it means I'm incredibly lumpy and bumpy. Uh, <laughs> I think that my surgeon, well, I'd had a little bit of adipose. I'd had a little bit of fat tissue pulled from my belly and put around the, the implants to give them a more rounded shape at one point in time. Uh, and so she left that little bit of a, of a bulge from the fatty tissue that had been put into the chest there. And she left a extra skin as well, I think because knowing that I'd had issues with scar tissue and knowing that I'd had issue with my, my chest muscles pulling in different ways, that was an assurance that when I raised my arm and went full range of motion, that I wouldn't have that skin 
pulling or grabbing at me in any funny way. Mm -hmm. But it does mean when I put my arms down, I'm totally lumpy. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I don't really care. Well, and and, and how has that, so how, how has that sort of affected you in your life in terms of life without the implants versus life with the implants? I jokingly say now that I get up in the morning and I pick out my outfit and I pick out my jewelry and I pick out my boobs. And maybe that morning I want to be a little bit more, uh, you know, physically showing off. And maybe that morning I just don't care. And to me it's become just part of the ritual of getting up in the morning and deciding what facet of myself I would like to present to the world. And it's, there's really no big second thoughts to that. And I've loved the different prosthetic companies that are out there. I've loved meeting mastectomy fitters. Uh, I did a, did a conference recently with a group called Essentially Women, uh, met with another organization, ABC, the American Breast American Breast Care that does prosthetics, essentially women does training for mastectomy apparel fitters. They're the people who, for a breast cancer patient who's had surgery, they go into a specialty bra shop and they can be fitted with a a type of bra that allows different types of prostheses to be slid into a pocket or be put up against the skin, uh, different prosthetics for different purposes. And I would say the only part of that that broke my heart was how people are not aware of those things as options necessarily. The fitters were telling me stories about how women would come in with bags of rice or socks tucked Mm. in their bra to give them a normal shape. And this is years after their surgery was done, but somebody didn't think to give them the information as to what their options were. And that breaks my heart. Mm. So that also is part of the book is showing people, hey, with prostheses, if you chose not to have a reconstruction surgery, here's, here's a way that you can have a normal profile where you cannot be wondering as you walk down the street, is somebody staring at me? Are they looking at me? Is there, this, is there a judgment that's being made? And mm. that so, type of stress of fear of judgment can be really affecting to us. Yeah, sure. Of course. So, Caitlin, when you said that you, you said something before about, well, when I get dressed now, I can decide what, you know, how I want to look like or what my boobs are going to look like. Explain that a little more. (laughs) To me, it's not that much of a difference between, you know, oh, am I going to put on a sports for for my, you know, pre-mastectomy self? Am I going to put on a sports bra or am I going to put on a push-up bra and a low-cut shirt? You know, there are some days when I think we are feeling a little shakier in ourselves. So we dress up on purpose. We dress up on purpose to know that we look good when we walk out the door. And there are some days when our confidence is fine or we just don't care and we walk out the door and it doesn't matter. And or comfort is essential because it's 95 degrees and 95% humidity out. I now have the ability to make very distinct decisions of what to me honestly feels like my life before the breast cancer surgery, which is how do I want to present myself today and how do I want people to see me? But I've realized through the years, the time from when I was 29, single, big chested with my natural, normal boobs to now, how very little my breasts actually have to do with who I am in any way, shape, or form. They are no longer part of how I define myself, mm-hmm. my beauty, or my confidence. And that's so and important. Yeah, that's so important. It Let's is. take a break on that note. It's a very, very important comment that your breasts no longer define your identity. When we come back, we'll talk to Caitlin about what is a mastectomy mugshot. And we'll talk more about, we talked some about this before, but about um the importance of that cognitive science from recovery and how that all ties in. And we'll talk more about um, combining medical information with hope and why that is such a focus for this project of Beauty After Breast Cancer, which was created by Caitlin Carey, who's a nurse educator. And we're going to talk more about the project. You can log on to Beauty After Breast Cancer 
www.patriciaraskin.com. You're listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show right here on voiceamerica.com, America's Voice, and we'll be right back. America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Listen for Go to Health Radio, featuring host Jonathan Marks and health experts from around the world who bring evidence-based education from Western, alternative, and holistic practices. We bring together you, seeking relevant and proven information for your healthcare needs and reputable healthcare experts and companies who offer quality education for your benefit. Monthly, we also share continuing education for medical professionals. Listen live every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Variety. Planning for college? Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton, a former admissions officer at the University of Pennsylvania, and featuring her fellow admissions and college finance experts from Bright Horizons College Coach. The show shares what colleges are really looking for and how to highlight your hard-won achievements for the best chance at success. New episodes air every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Today, our 40s sit firmly in midlife. We are starting to feel our place and have many productive years ahead. But now is the best time to plan for our future life. Listen for 45 Forward with host Ron Roel. From retirement to health and technology to caring for our parents, no topic is off the table. We don't have a roadmap to our actual future, but we can start to plan more effectively. Tune into 45 Forward, Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to Melody Edmondson's The Space of the Waste radio program. This companion piece to her successful guidebook series, The Space of the Waste, focuses on body types and how to make your waist length flattering, no matter what your body type is. Guests include designers, merchandise managers, factory owners, and more. You'll also find out what accessories will complement your body shape and waist length. Tune in every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Variety. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to The Patricia Raskin Show. If you wish to call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That number again is 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. Now, back to The Patricia Raskin Show. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to The Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show. And my guest today is Caitlin Carey, who is a nurse educator whose interest in the relationship between cognitive sciences and crisis recovery has resulted in the creation of new medical resources and perspectives. One of them is her project, Beauty After Breast Cancer, BABC, which is an informational supportive book that shares photos of people who are visibly present in life beyond cancer. These photos create a sense of hope for new patients so that they too can reach a place where life becomes joyful again. And the book has stories, portraits, and words of patients. And these are so essential to meeting recovery needs of patients and helping friends and loved ones to better understand the breast cancer journey. Welcome back, Caitlin. Thank you. All right. So let's talk about this goal of combining medical information with hope. Why is that such an important focus for you? To me, I think medical industry can accidentally tunnel focus. We focus on, oh my gosh, we have a potentially life-threatening diagnosis. We need to do everything we can to treat this disease and to give this person every chance at a strong, healthy, and long life after diagnosis. But I think what we forget is that there are two fears that people have when they hear a diagnosis of breast cancer. One is, am I going to die? But two is, am I going to lose myself? 
And that second fear can dictate a lot of choices for people. Absolutely. There's one woman in the ER that would be an example. She was somebody who defined herself through her long hair. And that was how she felt that her husband appreciated her beauty. That was how she connected with her children, one of the special memories of them playing with her hair. And because that hair was so much a part of her size identity, she made a decision clinically to not do chemo or radiation. But had a doctor thought to ask her, does your family love you for your hair or does your family love you because of who you are to them, please understand that here's the statistics of how long you're going to be there for this family if you make this choice versus this choice. Mm. She may have had a different outcome. And what happened? Did she pass? She did. Yeah. Um, She was incredibly sick, and it was her daughter who was explaining to me that it was because of her hair that she had made this initial choice, and it was her daughter who was asking, had she made a different choice, would this have come out differently for us? Mm-hmm. And mm. it just broke my heart. Yeah. Because yeah, that's we, a don't very powerful example. we don't think to recognize. Yeah. How are you working with medical doctors on this, Caitlin? How are you teaming up with them? To me, I have, well, I've often found one of my frustrating uh, hurdles for medical industry is that I'm a very much emotive, soft person. I'm like, here's the story. Here's the story of this horrible outcome. We can fix it. And the medical industry looks at me for the most part and not, not wrongly so and says, where's the science? Where's the statistics? Where are the numbers that say right. that if we do things differently, we'll have a positive outcome? And I'll be honest, it took me a little while to find them. It took me a little while to find the term I was looking for and then the statistics behind the research. The term I was looking for all this time was identity threat. And the statistics behind it are heavily studied with race and weight. But there's been some studies around cancer and breast cancer specifically that give the parallels of what it means to experience identity threat, and why it matters. Mm. So identity threat on this one means that if we fear that we are going to lose who we are as people, the way we define ourselves, and one of my patients said, you know, I got breast cancer, and then I lost everything that makes me female. I lost my periods. I lost my hair. I lost my breasts. And she said, aren't those all the things that make me feminine, what am I now? Mm. And she was left feeling so broken. Mm. And I think if we do not address those feelings and what we do with those feelings and how we pull ourselves out of that abyss back into a solid sense of self again, then there's, there's a lot of risks. And from a physiological standpoint, I can now say that those risks are represented by an increase in stress hormones like cortisol a decrease in our immune function as a result of those stress hormones. There's about a 30% increase in rates of depression and anxiety. And that's where, right, that's where the cognitive science, that's where the cognitive science comes in, right? And that is one of the big places the cognitive science comes in. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, because you do have it's the science behind of all, stress. Of all people that you want to have a nice, solid sense, a nice, solid immune system, and the ability to make decisions and and not fall into a state of hopelessness and depression, I'm hard pressed to come up with a, a group that needs those things more: a strong functional immune system, a strong sense of of perseverance and a belief in a better future so that they can participate actively in their own care so that they can understand all this rapid fire information that's being given to them. Share with us what a mastectomy mugshot is. (laughs) Mastectomy mugshot is a term that I learned. I, I knew the concept. I just never had heard the word. Mastectomy mugshot is the term that a lot of the girls used to describe those neck-to-waist photos in the doctor's office that they saw that were their first introduction to, okay, if we have surgery, then this is what's next for you. And I, 
I love and hate the term. I hate the term because it's accurate and it's still mostly what's out there. I love the term because it's so incredibly accurate. It is depersonalized. It is terribly unflattering. It is, you know, this, this worst case snapshot of a moment that's, that's really meant to be incredibly informative. But the overlay of the context from the photo, that depersonalization, that clinicalization, ends up overriding a lot of the information that's buried in the photo for us. So it's meant to show, hey, here's, here's what a surgical scar can heal like. Here's what the shape of that scar might look like. Here's what the shape of a reconstructed breast may look like. Here's, mm-hmm. here's how realistic mm. it is or isn't. Yeah. It's meant to give us a lot of information, but the removal of the head <laughs> of that person and the removal of the personality takes all the hope out of it. And so when we went to put together the book, we went to say, all right, how do we put the hope back in and still make the photos informative? And that, that resulted in some really interesting conversations because there was a lot of women that I had to strike up a conversation with and say, all right, here's the deal. We're putting together a book. Here's the purpose of the book, mixing hope and information. Will you take your shirt off for a total stranger? Let us photograph you in your most vulnerable moments. Let us share not just your physical scars, but the emotional scars and vulnerabilities that you went through before you got to this place of joy. And will you let us share your life beyond cancer, vulnerable photos on the internet and in publications around the world? And what happened? Of the, of the people you <laughs> asked, what was your percentage of, of women who said yes and women who said no? Percentage-wise, I'm not sure exactly where we fell out, but I can tell you that some of the people who said yes were, were surprises to me. Some of them were not. Some of the people who said yes, I'm like, of course you said yes. Uh, one mm-hmm. was an OR nurse I worked with, and she and I were both incredibly guilty of flashing patients that were coming in for surgeries to show them and give them comfort of, do you want to see what this looks like in person? And their eyes would get really big, and, but inevitably, every time they're like, yes. Very much yes. And she would flash or I would flash our patients as they were coming in to give them an idea of, hey, we're smiling, we're strong, we're present, we're professionals, we're here, and we're okay with the way we look, and this is what you can look like after all of this is said and done. And some of them were really big surprises. There's one gal in particular in the book who had never, ever shown anyone what her surgical scars, what her reconstruction looked like. If, her, if she was in, in the bedroom with her partner, the lights were out. He was never allowed to see her. And I'm not even sure she'd ever seen herself. And I think it had been about 10 years. Wow. And she said, but when I, when I got the message from, from my you know, from my, my counselor, my whatever, I reached out to lots of different organizations. When I found out about the project, she said, I believed in this so strongly that I felt I had no choice. I had to do this because if I believe in this message and I say that it's as important as it is, then I can't balk now. And not only did she pull her shirt off and, and share these amazingly beautiful laughter-filled photos with us, but she did it in an outdoor Chinese garden where we were running late and people were starting to roam around these gardens, opening, getting things ready to open up to the public. So we were not alone. It was me, a male photographer, male photographer's assistant, and some people wandering around in the background. And she just, she threw her hands up to the sky and said, you know, I know you're going to, I know you'll understand. And mm. she was, she was talking to, to a family mm. member that she'd been close so to. So having said all of that, this incredible, what is your message? The story really shares the message, but in your own words, we have about three minutes left. So Caitlin, what is your message? What do you want people to gain from this work, Beauty After Breast Cancer, from the book, from the project, um, from your experience? What's your message? I think that so often it doesn't occur to us in this, in this society until we're, we're in our old age 
that our beauty and our meaning is not defined by our bodies, that in point of fact, our scars don't detract from who we are. Our scars add to our stories. They add to the things that make us strong. And if we can get beyond that attachment to our physical appearance, which is hard to do in this world, if we can get beyond that attachment to our physical appearance through the successful modeling of others who look like us, through the normalization of what we've been through, through the celebration of our scars as evidence that our body has been to war for our life and returned triumphant, if we can learn to be proud of the sacrifices that we've made to still be here, then I will share that the one lesson that came from these 38 people who participated in this book was a lesson that would surprise most newly diagnosed patients. And that's that every single one of our participants said, I did not come out of my experiences with cancer as the same person, but I came out of my experiences with breast cancer as someone I actually like better. Mm, we came out beautiful. stronger. How beautiful. We came out beautiful. Beautiful. So beautiful. And how, I just um, want to help people, people get you. to that mark sooner. Right. <laughs> with uh, help, you can hear, with support. You can hear that passion in your voice. How can people find you? I know it's beautyafterbreastcancer.com. Can they write to you on that site? Yes, there is a contact button through there. We're also on Facebook under the same name, Beauty After Breast Cancer. And... The book is available with preview pages on Amazon as well for people to access into. But I have been posting additional video resources uh, and free bits and pieces through our Facebook page as well. Thank, thank you so much, Caitlin Carey, for being on this program. Stand the line for a minute. For being on this program and talking about beauty after breast cancer, and which is an informational supportive book that shares photos of people who are visibly present in life beyond cancer. All right. All right. That wraps up this edition of the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show right here on voiceamerica.com. To find me, Patricia at patriciaraskin.com. If you'd like to see all the wonderful guests we have on each month, you can sign up for my newsletter by writing to me, Patricia at patriciaraskin.com. I'm also on Facebook, um, Patricia Raskin, Raskin Resources. And if you're thinking of creating your own podcast, you know, you'd like to get your positive message out there. I help people create their podcasts. I've interviewed about 5,000 people in four decades of doing this work. So I love helping people. So contact me again. Remember, everyone, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. Until next time, I'm Patricia Raskin. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of the Patricia Raskin Show. Be sure to join Patricia Raskin and another amazing guest next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have an outstanding week.